Hey, what's up? This is Trey Pierce, audio engineer, digital director, director of financial planning and analysis, senior creative director of AR, program director, morning show host, and you're listening to the Springboard. 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 Springboard Music Podcast. You don't want to take away any attention from the people who are there trying to present themselves. Like you're definitely the behind the scenes guy. You're the guy who's just like putting it all together, making it work but your livelihood doesn't depend on like if you can get your lyric placed or your beat placed or something like that. Today's interview is a little different from our previous episodes. He is not in country music. He is not in Christian music and he doesn't live in Nashville. His name is Trey Pierce. He's from Michigan, but he does live in LA and primarily works in the pop space. You might have heard some of his work on some songs from The Weeknd or SZA or Rihanna. So without further ado, I mean, I don't feel like he needs much more of an introduction than that. So let's get started. Let's listen and learn about the audio engineering world from Trey Pierce. Seriously, though, like, how does that feel? I mean... At this point, I've worked with so many people over the years that it honestly doesn't feel like anything. Like yeah. going from Rihanna to the weekend, like it's they're just people to me. Like I've never been starstruck. So it's kind of how you've always carried yourself. You've always just been like, yeah, neutral. Yeah, pretty nonchalant about everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is why, like, I want to go to the beginning because I had. Our lives came together when you were a sophomore in college, and I was a sophomore mm-hmm. in college. You were with my now husband the night we decided to maybe give this thing a go. I remember um, that night so very well, and specifically, <laughs> Cole was like Brent and I were trying to fall asleep. Cole was out in the hallway in the dorm room, like talking on the phone till like two a.m. or three a.m. or something. Yeah, we were on the phone super late, and yeah, he told me he was playing. What was it like? Um, sidewalk cop or something during Halloween. Oh, He's like, I didn't yeah, go into any was. parties, I swear. <laughs> yeah, he was he was sidewalk duty because like the city or whatever didn't want people hanging out on the sidewalk because it's technically public property. And so the like the house party owners like recruited him just because he wasn't gonna drink to like just go patrol the sidewalk and make sure people didn't hang out on it. It was great. That was all he did. So right now we're in there like partying and then Cole's just out on the sidewalk on sidewalk duty. So you've literally like we've lived a lot of life together from Mm -hmm. eight years ago to now, both working in the music industry, having highs and lows. But at that time, you were at Michigan State. What were you studying? Oh, I was studying mechanical engineering. It had absolutely nothing to do with what I was doing now. And then I even changed it. Second person I know who studied engineering, like like civil engineering or mechanical engineering and then changed to music. I mean, yeah, basically when I was in high school, I really enjoyed taking my math and physics classes. And then I got to college and it was just like, I mean, maybe it was a wrong choice of school, but I was just like a number in a pool of 500 kids in a lecture hall listening to my Calc 2 professor freshman year. It was like, so just like not a good way to learn for me. And I really just didn't connect with the material that they were trying to learn or trying to teach me, even though I had enjoyed it so much when I was in high school. And so then... I had ended up trying to switch my major to finance because I had enjoyed the engineering classes, but I had not enjoyed like all the prereqs, like all the math and all the physics like I did prior. And so then when I was a sophomore, my roommate, Zach Belang, and I started to like make our own beats. And we started to like do remixes of like weekend songs and Kanye songs and just like other artists that we were like vibing with at the time. 
And then he ended up dropping out of school to go study advertising completely, like just completely left Michigan State. I stayed there to try to switch majors to maybe see if finance was going to be my thing. So I tried to do that. And then I ended up not really liking that either. So then I like reached, I like looked into different things that I could do in the music industry because I knew I didn't want to be an artist because I never want, I don't like want the fame or anything. I just wanted to be the guy behind the scene. And so I looked were up positions. Were you ever positions. like musical though? Like, cause I remember in the friend group, we all were like, I guess Trey's going to LA to <laughs> be a producer. Like we didn't know we had that you had this in you. Where did this come from? Have you always had it? We didn't know. I mean, I've always like enjoyed music probably more than anybody that I know. And I started, like I was growing up, I took piano lessons play that for a couple of years and I've always been teaching myself stuff just like through YouTube and then I played trombone when I was in middle school and I taught myself some guitar that I also learned from some stuff on YouTube but then when yeah when I was in college and we started making our own beats we were like okay this is actually something that we really enjoy doing and it was completely unrelated to what we were studying at the time so we both decided to make the jump but yeah quite uh nobody kind of expected that I would guess no nobody expected it so then was it when you were going into your junior year when you decided to move to LA and change paths completely? Yeah, it would have been my junior year. So when I was still in the middle of my sophomore year, when I was looking at positions that I could do in the music industry that weren't related to being an artist, I discovered the audio engineer. And that's the person who like sits behind the recording console or at the computer who actually records the artist while they're doing their thing in the studio. And it's just like the behind the scenes person, like the technical person, which I've always been more of a technical person. Because as I've learned through then trying to just create beats since then, I'm not a creative person. Like a lot of people can spend like, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour coming up, coming up with a beat that they really like that sounds really cool. But like me, when I'm trying to make beats, I'll spend hours, sometimes days just trying to find the sound that I'd like. Because if I want to make a beat, wow. I need it to be like the best thing that I've ever heard in my life because I'm such a perfectionist in that way. But that's not going to happen. Like, I don't have the experience or the creativity to do that. And so I figured, well, I can take this perfectionist thing that I have and then make it so that I work on other people's stuff to make that as good as it can possibly sound, which is the audio engineering. thing. What did your family think when you were like, hey, I know you thought I was going to have this really great <laughs> career as an engineer and then maybe as a, in finance, but engineering was right, just maybe a little different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were they were super supportive. I've always had that. Um, support system for my parents and I kind of told them like look I'm not really enjoying this um, mechanical engineering path finance path at Michigan State and I had told them that I had looked into other schools that I could go to which is the school that I ended up going to called the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences or just CRAS for short so what had happened was I had just like looked up audio engineering schools and it was the first thing that came up so I clicked on it and I went through their website scroll down to the bottom or whatever and I clicked like the thing for request new or like request information. And I kid you not, within 10 seconds of me requesting information, I got a call from one of like the admissions guidance counselors or whoever to like tell me all about the school, give me more information. And we had like an hour long conversation. I explained to her everything that I was telling you how like mechanical engineering finance just like wasn't doing it for me. And then I had like started making beats and I was really enjoying it, but I didn't want to be an artist type thing. So yeah, then ended up getting in there. Uh, admissions was super easy i basically just had to send them like my high school stuff which was really good my college stuff was really good and so you didn't have to like present any like work at all no it was like 
it's, it's it was more of like a trade school like a lot of kids that were there had like just come fresh from high school so like work experience wasn't even a thing that you needed and that school was that school was so great it was kind of an accelerated program obviously it focused just just specifically on audio engineering and it's split into what are called cycles each cycle is three weeks and there are 12 cycles and each cycle focuses on like a different thing so like cycle one was just like we're going to teach you all the very basics that you need to know like signal flow how do pieces of gear connect with each other like how does a microphone work how does a microphone preamplifier work how does a compressor work all that kind of stuff and then cycle two was more technical stuff like okay how can we use all this gear to like record people correctly and then third cycle was more of software stuff fifth six and six were more software stuff seventh was like uh post-production stuff eight was live sound nine was broadcast 10 was game audio and there was like some audio business and like mixing ones in there too i probably didn't get all those correctly accurate but that's so cool it's it was, incredibly it was, comprehensive yeah it was super comprehensive so the idea is that they taught you everything that you need to learn to do anything that you could ever want to do in audio so you had like your music production audio engineering guys like me but then you also had your live sound guys your broadcast guys your post-production guys your game guys so they had they taught you everything you need to know to be ready for an entry level position in the industry, which is also part of what the business, the audio business courses were the cycles. Um, they taught you like how to correctly prepare a resume, how to be prepared for an interview with a studio with a studio manager, which can be intimidating to a lot of people because you're coming into this multi million dollar studio seeing all these artists come in. So that was really nice to have. And then at the end of the 12 cycles, they had internship coordinators that would they asked you to make a list of like your top 10 studios that you wanted to go to. You could list any, you could list any studio in the country. And specifically, like if you wanted to go to like Nashville or LA, you'd list your top 10 studios for Nashville, or in my case, your top 10 studios for LA. And so I had made my list. My, I had moved out to LA just on a whim with a couple of people that were in my cycle at the time. I remember then, it was wild times and yeah. then became the time when we only see you every other year. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I'm 2000 miles away from everybody else. <laughs> but then yeah so my i was originally supposed to work at the studio called serenity west because i knew a guy who also went to the same school a couple years before me and he was going to hook me up with an internship there i had like talked to the studio manager and all that about it and then i finally moved out to la and then the studio manager's like oh sorry like we don't need interns anymore <sighs> so i was i kept hitting up my internship coordinator from the school and he's like okay let me see what i can do and then based like five six weeks go by i'm like not doing anything just like living out in la thankfully i had the support of my parents but five six weeks go by i finally get a call from westlake which was like the ninth or tenth studio on my list and so i'm like okay i'll do this interview and then the weekend before the interview i just randomly got hit with severe food poisoning like i could not get out of bed the, the stuff that was coming out of my body was disgusting i won't even go into it but <laughs> I got that on like Thursday night. I was actually at my friend's house who was going to hook me up at Serenity West. And I was like, dude, I got to leave. I feel terrible. No. And so I left. I was like bedridden completely for the weekend. Sunday night, I'm still, the, the interview was Monday morning. And so Sunday night, I still feel terrible. But then I wake up Monday morning and I feel like 20% better. So I'm like, okay. I went to the main desk at the um, reception area for the apartment complex we were living in. Turned off my resume showered drove to the interview had a really great interview with the owner steve and then basically in the interview he's like yeah like this was a really good interview um 
in your e- next email with Alex, let her know that we want to hire you. So I was like, okay, great. And then Whoa. I went home, got in touch with Alex over email, and then I started the next week. And I have been there. Well, I was there until the end of this past year before I left to go freelance. How many years were you there? Including my internship, it was about five years and four months. And just for fun, who were some of the artists you came in contact with at Westlake? Oh, I mean, just like name somebody in the pop industry, and I've probably worked with them since working at Westlake. But the standouts for me, like the most fun people that I've worked with were Janae Iko. I've done years of sessions with her. She is an absolute angel. I worked with The Weeknd. Those sessions were great, working on Don FM. And then the Rihanna sessions were great, too. Learned a lot from them got in close with her engineer, her producer. So those are the standouts. When you, so you said that your program was super comprehensive and they go from the basics all the way through. So we're going to play a little game. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say a word and you're going to define it for me. Okay. Okay. They're pretty easy. So I think you'll get it. Okay. We'll go with what you just said. Session. What is a session? So a session is when an artist or producer or whoever it may be comes into a studio to work on music essentially they'll like block out a set amount of time at a studio to work and the idea is for most people to essentially get one or two songs or at least good song ideas that they can then present to their a and r's and then send to like the upper people the label or if they're not at a label they're just coming in to like make music and have good vibes so just it depends on the session and the artists and whoever else is in the room with them at the time that's basically what it is. It's just like a time period for people to work on music. Demo. Demo is an unfinished song that might just have a quick mix that an artist or a writer is trying to pitch to another artist or producer or label. Like I did a camp a few days ago or a few weeks ago where it was just like demo after demo after demo. It was a camp for RCA. And they had a bunch of writers and producers come in every day that were different to like try to collab and make demos to then pitch to the person who I can't name to like make songs for. And so it was seven days of that. And they're just trying to hope to get like a few really good demos. A bunch of the ones that I did, I thought were great. So hopefully those get used. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Mix. So a mix is, I'll define it a couple different ways. There's a mix and the mix engineer is the person who does the mix. So the mix engineer's job is to take all the stems or files from the recording engineer and basically just make them as presentable as possible so that like levels are balanced, nothing is like overbearing. Um, They can put effects on it. And these are all things that they're doing to the mix. The mix is when the song is being finalized so that it can be sent to a different thing, which you might have another definition of, which is mastering. That is my next one. I was walking you through it. (laughs) So mastering is basically just the guy or the girl who just balances all the levels again, make sure that everything is as loud as it can be without distorting. And then they make sure that every other, like if somebody is mastering an album, they'll try to make sure that every song level on that album is identical. So you don't hear like a quiet song and then when it's like slightly louder, cause it's, it's kind of weird when you actually hear it. So their job is to make it like dead, even across the board as loud as possible and just make it sound good. The mixing engineer and the master engineer's job in like basic terms is just to make it sound good. EQ. EQ is, there's two different types. There's destructive and there's additive. So for destructive, the most common one is um, a high pass filter, which you'll, a high pass filter is rolling off 
some of the low end on somebody's vocal to make it like less muddy type of thing. So, but then you can also have like parametric band EQs. You can have EQs where you can like adjust the actual cue part of it, which is how like this would be like a wide cue and this would be like a sharp cue. And so if you adjust that, it depends on like how many frequencies you're like dipping or adding. And so it's a way to like just clean up sounds like like every single vocal that I've ever done gets EQ just to make it sound nice. Like if you notice when you listen to the radio, the person's voice that you hear on the radio or on like Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, it does not sound like how they sound if you were listening to an interview with them. It's because it gets EQ'd so that it's like more, um, it's just like more pleasing to listen to when you're listening to it it's like in cleaner. the mix of all the other sounds. Yeah, it's cleaner. That's exactly what it is. Delay? So delay is that like, so in America, we call it delay. In the UK, they call it echo. So delay is like a clap. That's good, that's clap, good to know. Clap, clap. It's like, it's not like a reverb effect, which is just like a continuously long echo. It's like a, it's like a clap, 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 clap. But then you can, so that'd be like, for example, a quarter note delay. If you're like at like 100 BPM or whatever, I don't know if that was actually correct, but you can change your delay. So it's like an instant delay where it just, it like, hits again like really quickly or you can have it be a long delay like a second delay it's just like it repeats what it is told to repeat whenever you tell it to repeat itself it's kind of like a weird roundabout way of explaining it no i think if i were to hear you explain it like that three times my brain would get around it <laughs> <laughs> um compressor that's the last one you did not know you were coming to get tested today so thanks for being a good sport compressor well it's a good thing i've been doing this for like six years now <laughs> so a compressor's job is to make sure that everything like the loud sounds and the quiet sounds are as close together as they can be so you're not like if like an artist gets like really quiet that so that you can actually hear that but then if they get really loud it sounds just like it would as if they were quiet so that's part of like the mixing process but that's also like i do i do compression every time i record somebody just so that like you don't have to do as much later down the road you're just like printing it in when you're recording it so it's super nice to have it's used in like literally everything i did a off-campus study program here in nashville my last semester in college and it was music business music artistry and tech as well and we talked about compression a lot and yeah basically you you're always going to use that and you're always going to eq the same thing mm -hmm. that you said um you talked about how your interview at Westlake was fantastic. You got the job basically on the spot. And you also mentioned how your conservatory taught you how to talk to a studio manager. What are some of those tips that you got that helped you? Basically, it was just to be as professional as possible. You had to dress like you wanted to be there. You had to make sure to ask them questions at the end of the interview. So like you showed that you were interested or you asked them questions about something they told you and interested to, or that you ask them questions about something they told you during the interview to make sure that you were like paying attention type thing. There wasn't like really specific tips. It was just like, you know, just present yourself well, pay attention and just like let them know that you want to work there. Again, you don't have to present anything to work at a studio. Yeah. All I had to do was give them my resume, show them that I like went to the conservatory. You know, I had like my GPA from Michigan state from the conservatory on there. So I had listed also all of my proficiencies that I passed. Um, a proficiency at Crass was like you were being tested on how well you knew software, how well you knew recording consoles, microphones, pieces of gear, like reverb units, compressors, that kind of thing. So when I was there, I had passed every single proficiency that they had. 
So I was what's known as a diamond student because I had 4.0 oh. GPA, I had perfect <laughs> attendance, and I had every extracurricular certification. So I had a pretty good resume to present, but I still needed to present myself well in the interview when I was there. Right. Those diamond students, they can be a little awkward sometimes. So it's important to make sure they have people skills. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> because that's, I mean, that's honestly the most important thing about working in the music industry. You can be the best audio engineer in the world. But if you're not a good hang, if you don't have a good vibe, if your people skills are low, like nobody's going to want to work with you. But if you're like just an average engineer, but you hold a good vibe, you have really good people skills, you're very friendly, you can do things like you can bring people together well, that's going to be the engineer that gets jobs no matter what. It's all about vibe, especially in LA. We've had almost every guest on this podcast has said that too. They've all yeah. said doesn't really matter what you bring in other than like a really good personality and you can hang out really well. Can you give us an example? You don't have to name names of like, what would be a bad hang? I mean, it's just somebody who doesn't communicate a lot. Somebody who doesn't like get into the music. Like if a producer like comes in and starts playing beats for an artist, like if, if you, if you're just like sitting there, like back in your chair, like not really like paying attention to the music, like that's kind of like a bad hang but if someone's just like just like casually bopping their head to the beat like that's already just like a better hang showing that like you're listening to the music that you can like hang out with them in that space as the engineer you're not really going to say anything about production quality or like writing lyrics or lyric quality or anything like that but if you just want to be like like yo man that was pretty dope just like for anything that somebody does that's immediately better than just like having your like bad opinions or whatever it might be like known by everybody or just like you're just like sitting there quietly like i said like not doing anything like that's kind of just weird well it doesn't like show passion or interest or like it's kind of like yeah. you're taking a coveted seat and you're not showing us why we gave it to you right exactly you need to show them why you're in that seat and that you deserve to be there is there a sort of hierarchy or totem pole in a studio if somebody were to see a job posted or were to get a job at a studio how are they to know where they fall so for every studio that I've heard in the studio where I worked, which is Westlake, you always start out as an intern or a runner. And so in my case, I was an intern for three months, which is as long as I could be under California law. And then once and an internship back then was unpaid. Now it's paid, but back then it was unpaid. And so at the end of my internship, um, the studio had basically the max amount of runners that they would have wanted to have, which was 10. And so what's a runner? So a runner is a person who basically literally just goes out on runs, not literally running, but like in their car, they'll go to like restaurants, to like pick up food for clients that like have coffee. orders. Yeah. Coffee, sandwiches, dinner, lunch, late night snacks, whatever it may be. But then they'll also go pick up things that the studio needs for like our complimentary items, which were like cookie dough, fruit, ice, like all the kind of stuff that we just have prevented or presented to clients for when they walk in the door so that they can just have. And so I was a runner for three or an intern for three months. And I hit up the studio manager about my schedule for the next week because she wanted us to send her schedule, our schedules for the next week. And so I was like, hey, I've been here for three months now. Just so you know, like, I don't know if you're planning on hiring me or anything, but it's getting to that point. She's like, yeah, like we've had our eyes on you for a while. Um, come in my office when you're next year and we'll talk about it. And so I basically went to her office the next day. We had a conversation. She's like, yeah, like we're willing to hire you for sure. Um, 
there's not really any space right now, but there will be some movement around the holidays because this was around like October, late October or late November. So she's like, um, just hit us up like at the end of the year, there will have been some movement around the holidays. So some runners will have been moved up to different positions. So hit us up then and we'll like get in touch with you about a start date. And so after the holidays, my start date ended up being January 8th. And then from then on, I was officially hired on as a runner. So I was the guy that was like picking up all the client food, all the client coffees, sandwiches, whatever it may be, and picking up other items for the studio that whatever, whatever they needed. I was a regular runner for about eight or nine months. And then I transitioned into being the overnight runner, which is a dedicated position that goes from midnight to 8 a.m., technically Monday through Saturday because it starts at midnight or Tuesday through Saturday. Which fits well with your habits already because you are a night Oh, owl. yeah. Yeah. That schedule was great for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm already a night for example, owl what time did you text me this morning? I think it was like 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. You like, always stay up all night. If ever I'm in an emergency, I know that you will be awake in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So I took on the overnight runner position, which is then a set position. Um, throughout the entire time that you're on it. I was there for about two months and then I transitioned to the day runner, which is 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. And when you're on the day running shift, you work a lot with Steve, who's the owner, and just like getting things for him, picking up his lunch, because what he's doing during your time as the day runner, he's assessing how you would interact with clients based on how you interact with him. Oh, so, so you, you can want learn... the day spot. Yeah, the day spot's like the coveted spot. It's the final spot that you take as a runner. And so it's your chance to show the owner and the rest of management, like how well you can interact with people. That's like your big test. I was a day runner then for about another two months. And then I transitioned to being a studio technician, which is the studio technician's job or besides just like fixing things around the studio, it's just maintenance of everything else. So the techs will go in in the morning, they'll do all the room checks to like make sure all the speakers work, all the computers work, all the consoles work, all that kind of stuff. And then their as needed stuff is just to make sure all like the extra gear works, like the microphones, the preamplifiers, the compressors, all the time-based processors in the studios, the dynamics processors in the studios, like changing light bulbs, like all that kind of thing. Just making sure that the studio like continues to run well. And then I was a tech for about another four and a half months. But when I was a tech, I already had started doing sessions. So like I was on a session my first week in the tech shop, which was like, I just kind of got- so cool. It was cool, but I just got like thrown in on it. I had like, I had helped assistants as a runner set up for their own sessions. So, like I was setting up microphones and vocal chains and stuff for them because you're kind of expected to. That's how like you learn. And by you as a runner taking that kind of initiative to help the assistants learn is how you kind of advance through the ranks. And so I had already known how to do it. And I had done a bunch of sessions then as a tech. And after about five months of being a tech, then I just became a full-fledged assistant where I was only doing sessions for artists and producers and writers and all that kind of stuff for about three and a half years. And th through those three and a half years, I worked with so many artists, the names of whom I've already listed to you. And then, yeah, at the end of this past year, I decided to go freelance. And yeah, now I'm like actually sitting in the chair recording people. And it's been a lot of fun, a lot of work, but. Was there any like non-compete with Westlake? Like how have you been able to get clients since you went on your own? So Westlake will call me back for sessions. Like if a session calls Westlake for, to like book a session, but then they say, hey, we need an engineer. Can you provide one? Westlake will call me or any of the other outside engineers that have done their time at Westlake 
you know, they went up from intern, runner, tech, assistant, and then left to go do freelance. They'll call any one of us to engineer. So that's most of what I do right now. But then I've also made connections with people that I've met through Westlake to then go work at places outside of Westlake. And they'll just call me directly. That's got nothing to do with Westlake. So that's how the work comes in right now. Since I've only been doing this officially freelancing for a few months now, it's not incredibly busy, but, you know, it'll get there. If somebody's wanting to start out and their friend is like, hey, I'd love for you to audio engineer this project for me in college or whatever. Mm. How like how do they know what to charge them? What's a good pay structure? That's tough for somebody who's just starting out because you kind of have to base it off of like your skill base, I would say. So like there's the rate that like the professionals engineers have, which you wouldn't I mean, unless you're unless you really know what you're doing, but you also have to take into account your client. If your client isn't like another college kid who like can really barely pay you but they really want you to do the project, it might be more beneficial to do the project and see where it goes than to not take the project because you didn't like, because you wanted to get paid more. So sometimes when artists will come into Westlake, they might even ask us to do a reduced rate just because the indie artist doesn't have like the big label budget, which most of the time, like we're okay with because it's just, it's a, first of all, it's another working opportunity. But second of all, you might make a really good connection with the artist who can then call you back to do future sessions and like for me, the thing that I would want to do as a recording engineer is to take somebody who's new to the game and just like take them all the way to the top and like watch them blow up. That would be really cool to see. Do people tend to stick with their engineers over their career? Like if you have a hit with somebody, they're more likely to use you again? I would say, yeah, most people do. Like, for example, when I work with Janae Aiko, she's had her engineer ever since I've been working with them for the last like four or five years. And then I know um, there's a bunch of other people that have worked with the same engineers for years and years and years. So unless you're like just an artist who's like starting out, those artists will try to like, they'll go through a bunch of different engineers until they find one they really like, or like really just like mesh with, they have a really good workflow with. And once you do, then your sessions just get like so much more efficient. You don't even have to like tell each other what you like, what each other wants because you already know like, the artist might first tell an engineer like, oh, hey, can you like set up my vocal chain a certain way? Or can you make sure I have a reverb? Can you make sure I have delay? Can you make sure my autotune is set a certain way? Instead of having to do that to every new engineer that they work with, once they find, they one, once they find the one they like, it's just going to be like, they'll walk into the session. The engineer already has that completely dialed in, ready to go, and they can walk out to the booth and start recording immediately. So once you have that workflow set up, it makes everything so much easier. When you are an engineer on a project or assistant engineer do you get paid per session or do you get paid in royalties on the song so for somebody like me who like i'm not on retainer with an artist i'm just the guy who gets called i would just get paid either hourly or a day rate but i know some engineers who have been working with clients for a long time or labels for a long time they might negotiate it where they don't necessarily get paid for the work that they do at the time so they won't get paid hourly or they won't get paid a day rate but then they will instead ask for just like a couple points, a couple percent on a record whenever it comes out. Because although you're not getting paid for the work initially, you'll probably end up making a lot more money if you're working with somebody who's huge and the song is going to be really popular. So it depends on who you're working with. But for me right now, it's just hourly rates or day rates. Yeah. 
if someone doesn't have a friend who wants to record, how can they gain practice or exposure? What are some lower level jobs that might give them some of the same skills if they're in high school or in college and they want to do audio engineering? That's a good question in terms of jobs. I know like when I was in school, I had the opportunity to um, work at this live sound venue where we had just done like our live sound part in school. Where we learned how to basically like mix monitors for people, which basically just means like you, you're either mixing the speakers that are on the stage firing at them so they can hear themselves or you're mixing what they hear in their ears and they're in your monitors. So we had the opportunity to do that. So maybe just like looking at volunteer opportunities at live sound venues or where if you live in a big city that has major recording studios, just like trying to get a foot in the door somehow. But it's hard to do, especially these days, if you don't have experience. I only have ever heard of one guy who basically just got picked up off the street because he wants a job in the industry. Whoa. But yeah, there, I mean, with the internet and YouTube and all that stuff nowadays, you can learn how to be a good engineer just from watching videos. You can record yourself, you know, just like, especially in Pro Tools, this, like the music software that everyone uses, there are videos on basically how to do everything. You could learn how to do quick keys, how to be really fast, like recording somebody, shortcuts for mixing, moving windows around. Um, you can watch videos for like gain staging, which is like how your preamp or how your mic feeds your preamp, how your preamp feeds your compressor, how your compressor feeds your audio interface into your computer, your vocal chain, your computer. So all this stuff is like accessible online. It's very hard to get experience, I'd say, for new people trying to get into the industry that way. But you, you can teach yourself a lot of it on your own. And just like how a lot of like producers and writers and artists st start out pretty like basically unknown through just like write, like making YouTube videos or putting out their own songs on Spotify or whatever. You can just practice your own skills doing what they did. Just like working on your craft whenever you can to trying to perfect it. It sounds like, I mean, first stop would be download Pro Tools and dork around and figure out how to use Pro Tools because that kind of seems like the program everybody is using for audio engineering. Mm -hmm. In America, it definitely is. I was talking to the studio, the head studio technician at Westlake. His name is Thomas. He was saying that basically everybody these days in Europe uses this program called Reaper because it's hmm. way cheaper and it's like kind of getting more user friendly than Pro Tools. Pro Tools has a very high learning curve, which is why they dedicated basically half of the program at Crass to learning how to use Pro Tools. So. But yeah, Pro Tools, it's expensive. I think there's a free version or there's like a $99 version. But yeah, just learning your way around Pro Tools, especially if you want to engineer anywhere in America is the way to go for sure. Okay, that's good to know because I was going to ask you to rate some of these engineering softwares. So okay. Pro Tools at the top or Reaper, they're mm -hmm. kind of, I guess, depending on where you are. Right. Um, where would you put Logic? Logic is a very good software, especially for the price. Logic is, I don't like recording in Logic because I don't like how the waveforms look. It's just like, it's a visual thing for me. I just don't really like it. You can do basically everything you can do in Pro Tools and almost every single plugin that you can use in Pro Tools will also work in Logic. So you can, like I know a lot of people will produce in Logic and then record themselves in Logic, but then a lot of times they'll either send it to Pro Tools for mixing because in my personal opinion, work, Pro Tools has a better workflow for mixing. But I mean, Logic has everything that you can do, basically that you can do in Pro Tools. It's just an Apple version of it. It's just laid out differently. It'll have a different learning curve. There are a lot of similarities, but 
yeah at that point it's just personal preference and what you can afford and what your end goal is i would say where would you put adobe audition honestly i know nothing about adobe audition <laughs> i've never watched somebody use it i've never heard anybody talk about it so i couldn't really i couldn't really tell you anything about it where would you put audacity audacity is great if you're just trying to like record yourself okay. it's just it's super simple i've only used it a few times when i was first like learning how to like record but it has everything you need to just basically record yourself with one microphone so for Garage somebody band. who's really starting out if you, like if you're trying to figure out if that's something you want to do or not definitely just try out audacity and see if you can like use it or get into it Ooh, that's a good tip. So like start with Audacity. If you really, really are geeking out and love it and want to pursue it, move on up to Pro Tools. GarageBand, should anybody be using that? Honestly, the question of should anybody be using it, there's there's a software for everybody. So GarageBand is just, it's 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 a reskinned Logic, I would say. There are very similar things in GarageBand and Logic because they're both made by Apple. GarageBand was just like the cheaper i would say more novice friendly version of logic and you couldn't do everything that you could do in logic but GarageBand is great when i was in school um everybody at high school in my high school got ipads and so when i had my ipad i had GarageBand. i would spend so much time on GarageBand, <laughs> just like playing around with it seeing what i could create it was a lot of fun so it's definitely something that everybody could use and i know you can do some really cool things with it i've seen some people I've seen people like bring in their phones connected to an aux in the studio and make a whole beat on their phone in GarageBand. It's crazy. That's nuts. So yeah, I know you can do anything with it. For me, when I was similar to you, when I was a kid and I was on road trips, we didn't have hotspots back then where you could have Wi-Fi in the middle of nowhere. So mm -hmm. I would whip out my dad's computer and open up GarageBand and just create beats or record myself through my little headphone mm -hmm. speaker or whatever. And it, it was awesome. It's a great, your word for it was awesome. The novice, it's a great novice program. Mm -hmm. And you bring up a good point too, about like using like the Apple headphone microphone thing. Like there's a use for everything. If you want to be an audio professional, you don't have to have a professional microphone. You can use like any cheap microphone you want. You can use your phone microphone, your headphone microphone. You can make really good projects with anything that you have. You just have to want to be able to make it good, I would say. But the accessibility is there. What was the first time when you worked with an artist and you were like, oh, dang, I have made it? Um, but you don't really get starstruck, so maybe you haven't. I mean, there's definitely sessions that I enjoy talking about, like the ones I've already named, like Rihanna, The Weeknd. Those are like really big name people. And so it felt like it felt nice that the studio management entrusted me to those sessions, knowing that they were going to be a lot of work. But yeah, I, I would say I'm very proud to have been on those sessions, even if I was just like put on those sessions by the studio. I wasn't really like picked out by like the actual session itself, but it's still it's still nice. It was it's, I learned a lot. It was a great experience. Everyone on those teams is very cool. So, yeah, just something for me to dear what are some faux pas when working with such a large artist like oh my gosh if you ever get this opportunity as an audio engineer do not do this when working with a big artist 
I would say, yeah, professionally, like introduce yourself, but then as somebody who like as the assistant and the engineer in me, the assistant engineer and like the first engineer in me, it's always very good to know your place and when you should speak out and when you shouldn't. So a lot of times when somebody's just like walking into the room, if it's like an artist or like a prolific writer, prolific producer, they'll have a bunch of people who want to talk to them because they want every like if somebody walks into a room that's a really big artist, all the producers and all the writers are going to say want to say, "Oh, like check out my song. I like I need to play this for you." And so you as the engineer, it's honestly just your job to just like sit there, be a fly on the wall, wait for all the commotion to die down. And then once they're ready for you, then you can step in and be immediately ready. But yeah, it's mostly just like the dues are to be a fly on the wall, just to be there when you need or to be there when you're needed to just honestly just be like a machine to just like grind out whatever they need. In terms of the don'ts, you don't want to take away any attention from the people who are there trying to present themselves. Like you're definitely the behind the scenes guy you're the guy who's just like putting it all together making it work but your livelihood doesn't depend on like if you can get your lyric placed or your beat placed or something like that so the do that's really good that's really good advice the do just relax wait for your time and then whenever it's your time just like do it well be a vibe be a cool hang be professional the don'ts are put yourself above anybody else that's like trying to be in the room with whoever the artist, producer, writer may be. That's so good. I know in other settings, I've been in situations where somebody has kind of like put their foot into the circle of conversation. And it's like, you kind of know that you shouldn't be here, but you kind of are trying to show yourself. And it's really cringy and awkward and takes away from the magic that could happen in that circle. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really wise of you to say like, do your job, be there to do your job and be there when they need you. And it's also a great point that people's livelihoods are at stake who are in that room. Like they need that, their lyric placed, they need their beat placed way more than you need this artist to know who you are. Cause they're going right. to spend tons of time with you when they get into the booth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They'll like, when they'll first come in, they'll spend like whatever, 15, 20, 30 minutes, maybe even an hour, just like listening to all the beats and all the lyrics and stuff. But then once they find the beat and the lyric they like, you're going to be with them for the next 12 hours until they nail every take and you can get all the effects how exactly how they want it. You can like prepare a song to go to the mix engineer or if you're also mixing it, you can like start a little like pre-mix yourself. Like you're going to be spending way more time with them and their stuff than the other people who are there ever would. So what's next for you? What are some projects that you're working on? Well, actually... I did some stuff in January that I think has released. They just haven't credited me on it. It was for this artist named Skilla Baby. And then he did like a joint album with T Grizzly. I engineered for them for a few days and a bunch of the songs that we did are on the album. Dude, that's um, sick. In terms of stuff that I've done now that hasn't released, I don't know when anything is going to release, so it's hard to say. But I'll say it's a lot of pop, a lot of R&B, a lot of hip hop. Um, a lot of hits. Yeah, hopefully. That'd be nice. <laughs> you have worked with the hottest artists in pop and hip hop. Do you believe that you're living the dream? It's tough to say because like I said earlier, I've never been starstruck. So if like for some people living the dream might be able to have said like, oh, I've worked with all these people. But for me, that's only as an assistant. I'm not like the actual engineer who's like sitting in the chair working with them. 
but those connections are still very nice to have. But in terms of like my dream personally, I'm only in LA. Yeah, what is it? I'm only in LA because it's where I need to be to do the work that I'm doing right now. Like if I really liked country music, absolutely I would be in Nashville, but because I don't really care. We've been trying. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of like my dream, it's to basically just be able to work remotely as, as like a mixed engineer where I can move back to home in Holland, Michigan with all the friends who are still there, build a house with a recording studio in it. And I can just like get files from clients who are recording wherever they might be recording in America and Europe, wherever. And then I just like do a mix, send them back the mix, charge them for the mix. And then I can like be with my family for the rest of the day type thing. So like the freedom to live wherever I want to live because I mean, LA is expensive. It's trafficy. It's crowded. But you know, back home, four seasons, inexpensive. A lot of friends there. So that's the dream for me: just be able to mix remotely, and then still have some free time to do the stuff that I love to do. Hey, and thanks for listening to us today. I'm Rachel Hessian, your host of the Springboard Music Podcast. 